MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, July 7th, 2020. Today, Trump tweets his support for the Confederate flag and the White House doubles down. And after three long years, the Dakota Access Pipeline is shut down. Trump tries to pit intelligence agencies against one another in an excuse for him not being briefed on the Russian bounties. Ghislaine Maxwell is transferred to New York on Epstein-related sex abuse charges. No Trump tax ruling from SCOTUS yet. And the Trump administration's messaging on coronavirus as the White House brags that the U.S. is leading the world and claims that 99% of cases are totally harmless. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. I am flying solo for the A Block, so... Place your bets now as to whether you're going to get angry AG or not. Uh, But I will be joined uh, for the interview by Steve Vladek as we discuss the importance of today's uh, Supreme Court rulings on the future of the Affordable Care Act. There weren't any Affordable Care Act decisions today, but what happened today could have major ramifications for the Affordable Care Act in the future. Uh, and we can all we also discuss when we can likely expect the Trump tax cases uh, with House Oversight and Finance Committees and Mazars uh, or Mazars, depending on how you say it. And of course, um, Deutsche Bank and Capital One and the Cy Vance Manhattan District Attorney's Mazars case as well. Uh, then Jordan's going to join me for news from under the radar and the good news block. And by the way, I have some schadenfreude today that will make you sing Disney songs. So you need to stick around for that. Uh, We have a lot of free patron memberships to give away. Thanks to the generosity of our current patrons who are sponsoring those who can't swing it during the pandemic. Uh, They have bought you a year's worth of ad-free early episodes and access to our closed social media groups and the newsletter and my personal research notes and um, the first um, closed hour of our Friday cocktail meet and greet happy hour extravaganza Q&A sessions, which I still need to come up with a better name for. Uh, But we have a lot of free memberships to give away to sign up. To get one of those free memberships, head to dailybeanspod.com. Just scroll down until you see the big patrons sponsoring patrons program. And you can also send us your good news and quarantine confessions while you're there. Or if you want to sponsor a patron, you can do that from there as well. We do have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first I'm going to give you a coronavirus update uh, in Florida. Um, uh, they have topped 200,000 cases today, I think at 206,000 the last time I checked, with over 6,300 just today as Miami-Dade rolls back reopening, just as Miami-Dade County only. Uh, experts have warned about this, and now they're closing down uh, dine-in restaurants. They're still going to do carry-out, closing down gyms, uh, party venues, short-term vacation rentals. Uh, and officials there are citing the increase in hospitalizations and the number of ventilators and ICU beds being on the decline as their reason for 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 taking back their reopening. Uh, Despite that, Ron DeSantis, uh, I hate that guy. Um, Ron DeSantis says the theme parks are safe. Um, It's the private parties that are the problem, according to him. Uh, If we had federally funded contact tracing and testing, we would actually know that instead of DeSantis just guessing. Um, He does not know what the hell he's talking about. Don't listen to Ron DeSantis. 
Uh, if you know, there are there are major gaps, by the way, in contact tracing in Florida. And this is according to CNN, who interviewed 27 people who were tested positive and found only five of them were contacted by Florida's health department for contact tracing purposes. So they know who tests positive and they only called five out of 27 of them for contact tracing purposes. Uh, Miami Dade, the whole purpose of contact tracing, you have to get every person and every single person they came in contact with and be thorough. If you don't do it thoroughly, what is the fucking point? Um, so uh, Miami Dade uh, had said on May 14th that they were getting ready to hire 800 to 1,000 contact tracers. And uh, as of today, according to CNN, they have hired zero. And according to a statement from the county um, health department in Florida, the Florida Department of Health is the only entity authorized to conduct contact tracing. Okay, well then do it. 24% of cases in Florida are in Miami-Dade alone. And when asked by CNN why they haven't hired anyone, they got no comment. So they did not respond for comment. All this, and now you know we have a clearer picture of the White House's messaging plan on coronavirus. We already knew... Uh, the GOP memo that went out to the campaigns, Republican campaigns, instructing them to blame China. Blame China, don't blame Trump. Uh, and Trump did that with his tweets again this morning, called it the China virus about 800 times. And now, from the Washington Post, quote, the Trump and Biden presidential campaigns now see coronavirus response as the preeminent force shaping the results of the November election, prompting both camps to try to refocus their campaigns more heavily on the pandemic. And that's according to officials from both campaigns um, talking to uh, the Washington Post. Uh, but the messages are very different, obviously. Quote, advisors to presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden see the COVID-19 crisis as perhaps the clearest way yet to contrast the former vice president with Trump, using the stumbling response and renewed surge in cases as ways to paint Trump as uninformed, incapable of empathy, and concerned only about his political standing. Trump's advisors, by contrast, are giant pieces of shit. The end. No, I'm kidding. Washington Post says Trump's advisors, by contrast, are seeking ways to reframe his response to the coronavirus. So it's so shitty they have to reframe it, even as the president himself largely seeks to avoid the topic because his views as a, his, he views it as a political loser. Uh, they are sending health officials to swing states, putting doctors on TV in regional markets where the virus is surging, crafting messages on an economic recovery, and writing talking points for allies to deliver to potential voters. The goal is to lie to Americans, it says here, to convince Americans that they can live with the virus. That's their, that's their slogan. Live with it. Uh, whenever I say live with it, I don't mean it in a nice, fun, economically viable way. Live with it means fuck you. Deal with it. Um, so live with the viruses. Schools should reopen. That's their uh, rallying cry. Reopen the schools. Professional sports should return. A vaccine is likely to arrive by the end of the year, and the economy will continue to improve. All of those things are likely a pile of shit. Bull shit, that is. Now, White House officials also hope Americans will grow numb. This, this, this part kills me. White House officials also hope Americans will grow numb to the escalating death toll and learn to accept tens of thousands of new cases a day. That's according to three people familiar with the White House's thinking who requested anonymity to reveal their internal deliberations. Americans will, quote, live with the virus being a threat, in the words of one of those people, a senior administration official that spoke to the, spoke to the Washington Post. They want us to accept tens of thousands of deaths um, uh, and new cases a day, uh, according to the White House. We should get used to it. Live with it. 
quote, uh, they're of the belief that people will get over it. Or if we stop highlighting it, the base will move on and the public will learn to accept 50,000 to 100,000 new cases a day. That's another former administration official in touch with the campaign. Polls have shown Americans growingly uh, worried, increasingly worried about the the course of the outbreak. A Gallup poll released Thursday found a new high of 65 percent of Americans saying the coronavirus situation is getting worse. It was up from 48 percent the week before. And Trump's approval rating has steadily slipped since March. Uh, in a Washington Post average of polls, uh, Biden led Trump by 11 points in June, up from an eight-point lead in May, and a six- to seven-point lead in February and April. Communication aides hope to work with Trump so that he can talk about his administration's response in a more effective and comprehensive way and are planning coronavirus-focused events for the coming weeks, according to two senior admin officials who also spoke on the condition of anonymity. And in Texas... Hospitals have reached capacity in two counties. The Austin mayor says in 10 days to two weeks, the hospitals will be overwhelmed, as well as Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio. And the Atlanta mayor, um, Mayor uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, has tested positive for coronavirus. She tweeted today, quote, COVID-19 has literally hit home. I have had no symptoms. I just tested positive. Our thoughts are with her family. Um, We wish her the best. Um, I think she has, yeah, four children. So... That's frightening. And dozens of major league sports players now have also tested positive as the spikes in COVID threaten the return of professional sports, even though that's one of Trump's fucking slick ass campaign messages. We're going to bring back sports. The Washington Nationals and Houston Astros, the, the two teams that were in the World Series, have paused spring workouts. More than three dozen major league baseball players and staff have, t- have tested positive. Same for the National Hockey League. And uh, in the NBA, no fewer than five teams have shut down their facilities. The other worry is that even if these teams can start their seasons on time, they likely won't be able to finish them. So that's where we are. We just passed 130,000 deaths today. Coming up on 3 million cases. It's untenable. And we failed to test early and put in contact tracing. That I don't, I personally think we're beyond the point of no return, but I don't want to scare anybody. Uh, but I mean, you know, just talking realistically, we are on our way to a hundred thousand cases a day and we're supposed to live with it. Um, the other part of the, uh, news today in the A block is, uh, Russia, the bounty story, the house foreign affairs committee has invited secretary of state, Mike Pompeo to appear Invited. They invited him. Isn't that nice? That's real nice at the House Democrats. They invited him to appear before a hearing on how the Trump administration responded to reports that the U.S. intelligence uh, was aware of Russia offering bounties to Taliban-backed fighters to kill coalition forces, including U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The hearing is set to take place Thursday. It's titled, Russian Bounties on U.S. Troops. Why Hasn't the Administration Responded? It's very creative, House Pompeo is listed as invited, as I said, to the hearing. The State Department and the House Committee did not immediately respond uh, to a request for comment on whether he had confirmed he would attend. I can tell you right now, he's not showing up. The other witness for the hearing is expected to be Michael Morrell, former acting director of the CIA in the Obama administration. And President Trump um, and administration officials have sought to downplay reporting last month by the New York Times that, you know, and the Washington Post that said U.S. intelligence community had concluded months ago. It was in his February 27th briefing, presidential daily brief that he doesn't read, 
uh, that an arm of the Russian military intelligence service, that's called the GRU, has offered financial incentives to Taliban-backed fighters to kill U.S. and coalition forces in Afghanistan, same unit that attacked our elections in 2016 that Trump also denied. Pompeo has pushed back on the bounty claims, accusing journalists of spreading misinformation about such intelligence reports and defending the administration's policy towards Russia. We're so tough on Russia. No, they're not. But Pompeo says, with a, likely with a smirk on his face, <laughs> I can assure you, whatever reporting it is that you're referring to, that we responded to precisely the correct way. That's how he always talks. And that's what he told reporters at a press briefing at the State Department last week. Quote, the fact that the Russians are engaged in Afghanistan in a way that's adverse to the United States is nothing new, he said. We took this seriously and we handled it appropriately, according to Pompeo. But from the New York Times, Ratcliffe has whipped up a memo, a memo produced in recent days by the Office of the Nation's top intelligence official acknowledged that the CIA and top counterterrorism officials have assessed that Russia appears to have offered bounties to kill American and coalition troops in Afghanistan, but emphasized uncertainties and gaps in the evidence, according to three officials. They can't deny the intelligence. So they're going to go after they're going to go after it from different points here. This is going to sound, tell me if you've heard this, stop me if you think you've heard this one before. The memo is said to contain no new information and its timing uh, and its stressing of doubts suggested it was solely intended to bolster the Trump administration's attempt to justify its inaction on the month's old assessment. Some former national security officials said the account of the memo indicated that politics may have influenced its production. You don't say. Go on. Uh, the National Intelligence Council, NIC, which reports to the Director of National Intelligence, Ratcliffe, produced the two-and-a-half-page document, a so-called Sense of the Community Memorandum, dated July 1st, as it appears to have been commissioned after the New York Times reported on June 26th that intelligence officials had assessed months ago that Russia had offered bounties. But the White House had yet to authorize a response. Uh, the memo said that the CIA and the National Counterterrorism Center, um, the NC. Uh, NCTC, which Trump gutted in February, by the way, when he after he fired McGuire, the DNI, had assessed with medium confidence, the CIA and the National Counterterrorism Center had assessed with medium confidence, um, uh, meaning, credibly, meaning credibly sourced and plausible, but falling short of near certainty, that a unit of the Russian military service, known as the GRU, offered these bounties. But other parts of the intelligence community, including the National Security Agency, which favors surveillance intelligence, SIGINT, signals uh, intelligence, said they did not have information to support that conclusion at the same level, therefore expressed a lower confidence in the conclusion. A third official familiar with the memo did not describe the precise confidence levels, but also said the CIA's confidence level was higher than other agencies. And that can happen. As you know, we spoke to an NSA veteran 30 years. They specialize in different kinds of intelligence. That is the exact same game Trump played with the Russia election interference intelligence community assessment. They pointed out differences in the confidence levels between intelligence agencies to debunk the entire assessment and throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, a new phrase for that. If you have any ideas, let us know. Hello at MullerSheWrote.com. Anyway, without knowing the precise confidence levels, the White House should not be able to say the intelligence is incredible. And as you all know, the validity of the intelligence is bolstered by intelligence community officials' willingness to go to prison to come forward with this information to the press. 
There's no way the intelligence would have made it into the PDB, the President's Daily Brief, without grave concern about it, regardless of differences in confidence levels between the agencies. This is the same fucking trick they pulled with the, with the intel- in 2017 when all the intelligence agencies said, yes, Russia hacked our elections. They interfered in our elections. Yes, yes, yes. And Trump said, nope, didn't happen. CIA said it was high confidence. Uh, NSA said medium confidence. Oh, they're not the same. The whole thing is bullshit. And then after the New York Times comes out with this reporting and the Washington Post comes out with this reporting and more and more officials, uh, you know, are, are, are adding to the story. After that, the NIC, which reports directly to Ratcliffe, who has fucking zero intel experience took over for Rick Grinnell, who was acting after McGuire was fired for briefing Russia to the House, to the Gang of Eight, without to, without telling Trump first. So, yeah, only after all that reporting did a uh, rat fuck come out with this uh, three-page memo saying, oh, no, no, Intelligence Agency 1 said it was a high confidence. Intelligence Agency 2 said medium confidence. Intelligence Agency 3 said we don't have any confidence because we are, you know, signals intelligence. They're the same song and dance. And nobody's talking about it today, but I am, and I'm mad. So I guess you got mad AG today. Matthew Olson, former director of National Counterterrorism Center, who also held another national security post during both Bush and Obama administrations, also said the account of the memo's content raised the appearance of potential politicization. These products are never definite, ever. There's always caveats and holes and judgments and qualifications, he said. The White House has portrayed it as not verified, but it's never verified. So that struck me as a misrepresentation. It would be very easy if you want to take a different spin to draw those out and amplify the ways in which it was inconclusive. Uh, the intel assessment of the problem outlined in this memo served as the basis for an interagency meeting in late March convened by the National Security Council at the end of which officials were assigned, they were told, to come up with a list of potential responses. The ensuing list started with making diplomatic, a diplomatic complaint to Russia. Just like, hey, can you not kill our troops and coalition forces? Just saying that, just asking them not to. That was at the bottom of the list. And then it escalated into sanctions and then other punishments. That's according to several officials familiar with those NSC meetings, those interagency meetings. But despite receiving that list months ago, the Trump White House has not authorized any action. The administration appeared to have indefinitely sidelined the issue uh, until the Times article last week caused an uproar in Congress, prompting a fresh look at it. And then, oop, all of a sudden, bam, a DNI memo coming out saying, oh, no, look, the intel, different, different levels of confidence among our 17 intelligence agencies. The whole thing must be bullshit. Ryan Goodman and Nicholas Rasmussen wrote a piece in Just Security stating that the memo is a product of the National Intelligence Council, as I said, which reports directly to Ratcliffe, and they're concerned that the country's top intelligence official is manipulating intelligence processes for political um, purposes in the context of a direct threat to American service members' lives. Quote, that we even have to ask the question whether this intelligence is being politicized is a measure of how far from normal business we have strayed in recent years. And, of course, the timing is suspect. Uh, that the memo here was drafted after the New York Times reporting instead of months ago raises all these questions. Why wasn't this memo drafted months ago? 
Quote, all told, the recent timing of the memo's tasking and rush to complete it suggests it was not intended to inform policy discussions on how to protect American troops, but to inform political efforts to rebut the media reports. Couple that with the fact that they've used this trick before, like I said, it becomes clear to me at least this memo was whipped up to back up the president's lies, something that happens all the time. And now American troops' lives could have, you know, could have been lost, may have been lost, and are right now in danger. We have 8,800 troops over there. Anyway, I'm pretty mad about it. Um, I want to keep this story going. It seems to have gone silent. So if you can find this article um, that just came out in the New York Times or the Just Security blog, retweet it. Just keep this story going. It needs to continue to have attention. As long as Trump doesn't at least ask Putin to stop, uh, our our troops are, are in danger. And so are the coalition forces in Afghanistan. Um, we'll be right back after this quick word with Steve Laddick to discuss the Supreme Court decisions from today, uh, how many are left to announce this term, and when we can expect the Trump tax case decisions. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. As we know, computer systems in cars are the new normal, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors, but you can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost you a fortune. So now is not the time for expensive repairs, as we all know. The last time I had a tech-related car problem, it cost me, like, a lot of money. And the repairs took forever. And all of the systems were integrated, so it just it costs so much. And that's why I now have CarShield. What I love the most about their service is they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. Um, CarShield has an affordable protection plan that can save you thousands uh, for a covered repair on computers, GPS, electronics, and more. There's no long-term contracts or commitments, and CarShield gives you options others won't. Um, you get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They are also offering complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance, which is huge, and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you've got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repairs. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, joining me today uh, is professor-in-law at University of Texas and co-host of the National Security Law Podcast, Steve Laddick. Steve, welcome back. Thanks, AJ. It's uh, another another Monday, another week of SCOTUS tea leaf reading. Yes, you are my uh, new Monday go-to for, <laughs> for SCOTUS tea leaf reading, for the SCOTUS tarot. And what uh, I want to talk to you about today is, general in general, the cases that came out today and how many we have left. And I haven't, the last I checked, haven't seen anything pop up on the SCOTUS calendar, but I don't know if you have any information on any additional opinions days scheduled this week. Can we start there? Yeah, so the official information is that there is no information. Um, the, the SCOTUS press corps um, has been told to uh, not expect opinions tomorrow, but to expect further guidance 
about when we might get opinions again, maybe tomorrow. So um, I think the only thing we know for sure is that we're not getting any additional opinions on Tuesday, July 7th, um, and that for the first time since 1974, the court's going to go past July 7th. Hmm. But whether that means we're getting all five remaining decisions on Wednesday or spread out or next week or never, um, who knows? <laughs> never. That's not normal. No, I, I mean, I think I think never is, is, is mostly facetious. I mean, I think the, <laughs> okay. the, you know, the, the real question at this point is just whether it's this week or next week. I mean, I I'd put a fair amount of money on all of the cases being out by the end of next week. But, you know, given how slowly they've been going through the May cases with only three more decided today, um, given that they have nowhere to go, literally, um, you know, I, I think putting money on a particular outcome before the end of next week is more of a fraught proposition. Ah, because, yeah, the reason that I ask when, you know, when you said never facetiously is because I get a lot of messages asking me, are they going to hold this particular decision that we're talking about, which is the Trump's tax cases or the Trump's financial documents cases from Mazar's Capital One and Deutsche Bank? Are they going to hold this? Can they hold it? Have they ever held anything until next term? Yeah, I mean, so the short answer is they can, but they won't. Um, there are examples of, you know, cases where the court sort of set for re-argument the next term. Um, that's not what's going on here, AG. I mean, I think, you know, as we talked about, I think, last week, um, you know, this is just the court on its regular calendar, but very behind because it heard these cases late. It's not used to hearing cases in May these days. And so, you know, I think this is just the court moving slowly. I think they're under a lot of pressure to finish up. Um, and if it's not this week, you know, I feel pretty confident it'll be next week, if only because I think, you know, they're pretty, one, embarrassed that they're late, two, tired, um, and three, you know, I think even if they can't travel as they usually want to do over the summer, you know, the justices, I think, want a break. Um, and, you know, they know they've got already a pretty busy fall awaiting them. So, you know, I think with the three decisions we got today, that leaves five. Um, I suspect that's really just two days, AG, where we'll have you know, one day, maybe later this week with the Oklahoma case, the contraceptive mandate case, the ministerial exception case, and then the last day, whether it's this Friday or early next week, the two Trump financial records cases. Okay, so two of the five are Trump finance cases. Two of the five, and then the other three, um, two, you know, the other three are all sort of important in different ways. Um, one is about the scope of the religious exemptions to the ACA's contraceptive mandate, uh, where the Trump administration basically tried by regulation to expand the religious exception and was sued over it. Um, one is a fight over the scope of something called the ministerial exception to Title VII, which is basically when religious schools don't have to comply with federal employment discrimination law because they're religious schools. Um, and then one is this really, really, I, you know, it would be amusing if it weren't so serious dispute um, over whether basically a third of eastern Oklahoma um, is actually Native American territory, um, which has some pretty significant consequences for criminal cases. Um, so, you know, it's actually the second time the court has heard that issue in the last couple of years. It split four to four on this question last year because it was argued before Justice um, or two years ago because it was argued before Justice Gorsuch was. Uh, confirmed. So, you know, those are three big cases, AG, but obviously I think the ones everyone's waiting for at this point are the two Trump financial records decisions, the Mazars case, which will be the ones, it's really two consolidated cases about congressional subpoenas, um, and the Vance case, which is the one about the, the New York uh, district attorney subpoena. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so you can't think of a, a situation in where, unless there was a re-argue uh, of a case for next term, that they've they've held off giving a decision. Like I mean, that. they they've actually they've done it, but not in decades. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it's it's been a staple of the court, certainly since um, the nineteen the mid nineteen seventies, and you know, religiously ever since um, okay. that they cleared their docket each term, and that they can't clear a case. They re-argue it as opposed to just holding it over. So I really, you know, I understand why folks are nervous and I understand why folks are sort of trying to, you know, not take anything for granted. But I think the one thing you can take to the bank is that we're getting decisions in all five of these cases by the end of next week. Gotcha. Okay, excellent. Now, can you tell us about the decisions that came down today? uh, I think they're of relative import. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, I think what's really significant about decisions today, AG, are less the specific holdings and more... Um, what they, you know, what they don't hold. <laughs> um, so, so there were three decisions, although really only two issues. Um, so the the first one that came out was this really sort of bizarre case about um, the robocall ban in a statute called the Telephone Communications Practices Act. Um, and the the robocall ban has an exception for government debt collection. Um, Basically, where the the one the one party that's allowed to um, I'm sorry, it's the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, and the one party that's allowed to make robocalls is the federal government. Um, Ag, that's a classic content-based speech restriction because it depends on who the speaker is. And the Supreme Court said, "You've got to be kidding me!" and struck it down. Um, that would not, I think, ordinarily garner a lot of attention. But I think folks are rightly focused on the part of the decision that explains why the government debt exception can be, the word is severed from the rest of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. Basically, if this one provision is unconstitutional, does the whole statute have to fall or can we just cut it out and leave the rest of the statute in place? And seven of the nine justices said you can just cut out this one provision and leave the rest of the statute in place, which I think everyone immediately understood as a pretty powerful sign about what the court thinks about the huge Obamacare case that they're set to hear this fall. Mm. Because, you know, I think there's a fairly widespread consensus that whether the court, you know, the the issue there is nominally whether the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act is now unconstitutional because there's no penalty. But that question doesn't matter because there's no penalty. What everyone's really Mm. focused on is can that provision be severed from the rest of the ACA, from all the good stuff, from the Medicaid expansion, from, you know, funding for HIV programs? Um, and, you know, the, the Texas argument all along has been to go after the whole statute by saying this one provision is unconstitutional. That argument, I think, received a pretty powerful blow today from seven of the nine justices. So that's why I think the robocall case is important, not because anyone's mm. fate is going to rise and fall on the government debt exception to the robocall ban, but because it's a pretty, I think, strong signal that Texas has an uphill battle in the ACA case. Now, does this decision today mean that the government can, you can get political robocalls? Um, no, those were still banned, um, right? That the, the exception was only for calls to, to, to basically um, uh, raise hackles, warn uh, collection notices about government debt, money you owe to the government. Now, there had been some concern that that provision could be abused for political purposes. So if anything, mm-hmm. today's decision makes it even less likely that that could happen because now the government debt exception is out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was the other case that was decided today? So we also got the two decisions we were waiting for in the cases about so-called faithless electors. Um, mm-hmm. And this is actually, 
I think th- this is a classic example of a Supreme Court decision that would have only been a huge deal if it went the other way. Um, and so the question is, you know, we have this um, FACOCTA anachronism, the Electoral College, mm-hmm. where we don't actually vote for president. We vote for electors who then vote for president. And the question is whether an elector is bound or can be bound to actually vote for who the state tells them to vote for. Um, or can you have these so-called rogue or faithless electors? So this was like when when the state said, well, we're going to, you know, d- d- it, we're going to go by the popular vote and we're going to make all of our people vote for who wins the popular vote in our state. That was sort of a popular idea going around for a while. Yeah, I mean, part the National Popular Vote Compact has something to do with this. But I mean, it's even even before you get to the National Popular Vote Compact, I mean, it's just, you know, if if Texas casts all 30 whatever its electoral votes, you know, if if, if um, President Trump wins Texas, but there are two rogue electors who just don't want to vote for him, you know, can Texas punish them if they do that? Um, and the, the answer to the Supreme Court said today was yes. Um, basically, states can, in fact, punish faithless electors and therefore, in effect, bind electors to vote for whoever the state tells them to. Um, and I think, you know, the sort of the common sense response to this is, duh, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise, you know, you'd have the very real possibility of a presidential election swinging because some person no one's ever heard of decided to be a faithless elector. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of why, even though there was some disagreement as to the rationale, um, the justices were actually unanimous as to the result. Okay. And so it d- d- is... Is that how the how it's always been, though? I mean, at least in modern times. So, I mean, you know, we've had uh, there's only I think Justice Kagan's opinion, which, by the way, is a really fun read. I mean, mm. for folks who are curious about how the Electoral College actually functions um, and the role of the individual electors. I actually I, I really would recommend this. It's an accessible, well-written, breezy opinion um, that does a really nice job, I think, of, get, of, of summarizing the history without getting lost in it. And, you know, Justice Kagan points out is that there really is only one. Um, example of a truly faithless elector. Um, and it was in an election where it didn't make a difference. But she said, you know, that's not a reason to sort of think this couldn't be a problem, especially in, a, in an era that we have now, where you actually have very close presidential elections and where you have, you know, at least in, gosh, what, three of the last five elections, um, circumstances in which the winner of the Electoral College is not the winner of the national popular vote. Mm. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, I think that's all that, that I had for you today. Oh, one other last question. Ha <laughs> That's right. Um, I have had the other thing that I have people coming up to me and asking me or sending me messages about is they're confused about why the Trump's tax case was even taken up by the Supreme Court, because the law, they say, the law says that they shall, the IRS shall, quote unquote, furnish the taxes. And we I know we heard we've heard Adam Schiff repeat this refrain. They shall. But uh, I that's not this case. That is a different case where that law applies, correct? Yes. So the, the cases the Supreme Court is hearing are congressional subpoenas for a bunch of the president's financial records, I think, which may, in, at least under one of the subpoenas, AG, include his tax returns. Mm-hmm. But they're not for the tax returns as such. Um, there's a separate case that's pending in the federal district court in Washington that is the more specific this provision says we get his taxes. Why can't we see his taxes case? And just to sort of tie 14 threads together, um, the district judge in that case is waiting for the D.C. Circuit to finish deciding the Don McGahn case. Uh, you may recall earlier this year, a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit had killed 
the Don McGahn subpoena in a highly controversial decision. That was then reheard by the full D.C. Circuit, which, A.G., I have to think is waiting for the Supreme Court to decide the Mazars case. <laughs> so so just, you know, I think this is a basically a, a domino situation where once the Supreme Court decides the Mazars case, the full D.C. Circuit will decide the McGahn case, at which point Judge McFadden will be clear to decide the, um, I think it's technically called the uh, what, Ways and Means versus Mnuchin. Um, yeah. So, you know, there, there's a, I mean, one of the things about these financial records cases the Supreme Court's about to decide is there is a heck of a lot of stuff waiting for it. And, you know, I think one of the things we'll have to keep an eye out for, assuming the Supreme Court, you know, sustains at least some of the congressional subpoenas, is then what does the en banc D.C. Circuit do in McGahn and what does Judge McFadden do in you know, the Mnuchin case? Because those are separately significant um, for all of the reasons that, you know, you've been talking about forever. And, and will, I mean, will the en banc decision in McGahn actually free up Trevor McFadden, Trevor, uh, to make that decision? Or will he wait for that to be appealed to the Supreme Court as well? Because it will be. Um, yeah, I mean, that's largely up to him. I think the difference is that um, it's one thing for a district judge to wait for a court of appeals because the court of appeals has to decide the case. Mm. And so, you know, it's not like it's not like he's waiting for a possibility. He's waiting for a certainty. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a little bit stranger to wait for a case where certiorari, where the Supreme Court hasn't even granted review yet because it's discretionary. So, you know, I, my suspicion would be that McFadden would wait for the D.C. Circuit, um, but then not wait for the Supreme Court unless and until the Supreme Court grants cert in McGahn. And of course, you know, this just to, to go back you know, to, to the end of April for a second, folks might remember that right before the oral argument in the Supreme Court in the Mazars case, um, the Supreme Court asked for supplemental briefing basically on the very specific sort of question in McGahn as it was decided by the D.C. Circuit. Um, and then the jurisdictional oral argument, issue, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then an oral argument that got no traction. So, you know, I think the justices understand that these cases are tied together. And, you know, I think everyone sort of is is waiting for the Mazar's decision because that's going to be the ball that sets everything else in motion. And does the outcome of how they rule impact how the other judges will rule in McGann and then therefore in McFadden House Ways and Means versus Mnuchin? Maybe. Um, so I think the short answer is um, if if at least some of the subpoenas in Mazars are, are upheld, mm-hmm. then I think that frees up the D.C. Circuit and the district court in the, you know, in Judge McFadden to get right to the separate issues that are presented in those cases. So, you know, in McGann, there's a claim of testimonial immunity, <laughs> um, but that's that's the sort of the merits objection to the subpoena that the D.C. Circuit would then be free to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in you know, in the McFadden case, it would go right to the question of, you know, does this fall, is this a case falling within the statute? So if the court, if the Supreme Court says, yes, some of these subpoenas are OK, I think that green lights the D.C. Circuit and Judge McFadden to reach the merits. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court says, no, none of these subpoenas are OK. Um, then we're going to have problems. But, you know, the problems are bigger. The least of those that. problems are going to be the, the, the headaches those cause in McGann and Mnuchin. Yeah, then we have constitutional crisis separation of powers problems, and uh, we can talk about that in another time. No bigs, no biggie. Exactly. Um, but I, I do want to make clear to everybody that if 
we get a couple of these subpoenas, which I, you know, I think we'll get a couple uh, in in the tax Mazars Capital One Deutsche Bank cases, which frees up on Bank to decide McGann. That is going to be appealed to the Supreme Court, and if that, you know, f- decision for you know also frees up Trevor McFadden to make his decision about the House Ways and Means versus Mnuchin and, and the House Ways and Means wins. Like if we win up up and down the ladder. Uh, except you know maybe a subpoena here or there in the in the Mazars Capital One Deutsche Bank cases, those other two cases still have to go through. They're going to appeal them all the way up. So don't expect like bam, bam, bam. You know we get all these tax documents in a giant pile coming to the house. And and also well, remember and, and, none and, of and these. And worse than and worse than that, they probably all become moot on January third. Absolutely, and. Uh, we have to remember that none of these are for the public to see these documents or tax returns. In the, in the Vance case, it's actually grand jury secrecy. We can't see those. Uh, then we have the other subpoenas. They're going to the House. Depends on how leaky the House feels that day, but they're not supposed to release them to the public either. And then, of course, neither in the in the House Ways and Means or the uh, well, the McGann case, the, the the public would get to hear a McCann, a McGann testimony. But is it then moot? Um, I mean, I think the short version is the chances we get conclusive resolution of McGann or Mnuchin before January 3rd are slim. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, the only way I see that happening is if the Supreme Court greenlights congressional subpoenas, at least some of them in Mazars, and then the lower courts move quickly. Mm. And again, why is it moot if we still, if the Dems take over, if we win, and, and you know, we still want to continue those investigations, as Biden has said he would? W- how did why do they become moot? So um, this is a, a nerdy point of arcane procedure, but the House, unlike the Senate, is not a standing body. Um, and so whereas Senate subpoenas tend not to expire because at least some of the senators are always there, um, the House, you know, the, everyone in the House is, has to get reelected every two years. So every Congress actually is different when it comes to these mm-hmm. kinds of subpoenas. Um, and so for all those reasons, congressional subpoenas tend to expire at the end of each Congress. They would have to issue the subpoenas again. And and then we'd have to fight over and, and then presumably the, the litigation would have to start it at, at, at step zero. <laughs> Wonderful. But this is why I mean, this is why I think a lot of the sort of good government folks have really been pushing that one of the real pro, uh, post Trump reforms that we need is not remotely substantive. It's a fast track judicial review process mm. for disputes over congressional subpoena. Assuming, you know, assuming we can have any judicial review of congressional subpoenas, what I think Trump has made abundantly clear is that all of the you know, sort of lawyering, delaying tactics are good for the president and bad for Congress. And so if Congress really wants to you know, make it harder for the president, any president to stonewall, the answer is to create a much more expedited judicial review process for the future. In which case we might have to kill the filibuster because we won't have a 60-seat majority in the Senate. <laughs> yes, although all I'd say on the flip side is it's been my experience that Republican members of Congress actually are quite eager to support robust congressional oversight when a Democrat's in the White House. Well, they also used to be eager to, you know, be tough on Russia. But, you know, shit shit happens. Touche. <laughs> but, you know, we will, I guess, every bridge gets crossed when we arrive. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Steve, where can people find you and follow you? Because uh, you're really, really excellent to follow, especially on SCOTUS mornings, because 
not only do you put out as soon as you hear what the decision is, as soon as you get the vote, you put it out, and you also tell us if our numbers are up, uh, R as in the letter R numbers are up, so that we know if it's the first, final, or last decision uh, that, that day. Well, I mean, I, you know, if, if you really, if, if you can handle the, the Mets arcane, um, I'm on Twitter at Steve underscore Vladek, uh, V-L-A-D-E-C-K, and also, as you said at the top, uh, co-host the National Security Law Podcast with my friend and colleague Bobby Chesney, um, which is at NSL Podcast on Twitter. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will be right back, everybody, with the news from Under the Radar with Jordan. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. This episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Caliper CBD. Sometimes uh, we get overwhelmed in our endeavor to be healthy and happy. (laughs) Uh, Who says taking care of yourself needs to be so hard? It shouldn't be. You shouldn't have anxiety about trying to not have anxiety. Um, What's great about CBD is it helps you feel better without making drastic changes to your routine. Uh, I found CBD helps me feel calm. It helps me sleep easier. I feel less sore from workouts. That's really big. I know you're thinking droppers full of funny tasting tinctures can't be the best modern science has to offer. And I agree, which is why Caliper introduced a better way to consume CBD. Unlike CBD oils, Caliper CBD powder is completely tasteless, mixes easily in any food or drink, no weird taste, no oily residue or mouthfeel. With precisely 20 milligrams in each packet of Caliper CBD, you'll never question how much CBD you're taking again. I like to add it to my morning coffee or in a post-workout protein shake. Um, I tried tinctures before, um, but, you know, it's clinically proven that you absorb 450% more CBD with Caliper CBD as compared to tinctures. It's pretty crazy that it works so much better than, than oils, but the, but the human body is mostly water, and oil and water don't mix. Caliper gives you all of the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes. It's about twice as fast as CBD oil. Caliper is completely THC-free, all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, no fillers, no chemicals, no artificial flavors. Get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycaliper.com dailybeans. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they will give you a full money-back refund. That is trycaliper.com dailybeans. Don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS at checkout for 20% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, it is time for news from Under the Radar, and joining me for that is Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Hello, AG. Hello. How are you? I'm well. Just hanging out under this radar here, ready to uh, get get those stories out. <laughs> under the radar, the invisible bombers. You can't see them. Yeah. They're invisible. Although under the radar now really just means like not being thrown in your face as soon as you wake up, because it's like... Still massive pieces of news, but yes, relatively under the radar. It's really weird that these are the headlines you might have missed. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So let's just put it that way. What's going on with Trump's Trump's Twitter today? Yep. So he's taking to Twitter, just digging his heels on uh, in on that racist, racist messaging. And it's it's completely, I mean, it's already been at this point, but I just find myself increasingly thinking... He is just outright declaring a ideological war as he has been, and he's not stopping and he's not pulling back, and it just gets worse and worse every day. So what he did today that was incredibly t- antagonistic and racist, he tweeted about Bubba Wallace. Right. It's like, is it just me or is it getting more and more overt? Yes, it's yes. Yeah, it is. And that's how I felt about his 4th of July speech, too, which I meant to chat about a little bit yesterday, but I, I, don't, I won't go too into it. But I exact same feeling. I'm just listening to his words like he's Ugh. declaring war right now. He's declaring ideological war and he is very yeah. intentionally doing so. And he continued that shit today on Twitter. 
talking about Bubba, Bubba Wallace of NASCAR, he said that he wonders why the driver hasn't apologized. Because as we know, when the noose was first found, it wasn't known if it was placed there recently or in light of Black Lives Matter and NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Or if it had been there previously, which I don't understand is somehow like a non-issue to people, which doesn't make any sense to me that the outrage, the fact that people are expecting Bubba Wallace to apologize because the noose in the garage was put there longer ago, that's Mm -hmm. complete, it's not even bullshit, it's, it's... It's whistling, and it's not dog whistling. It's whistling. That's I'm. It's someone whistling. said that, and I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, it's just whistling. And so he's saying Bubba Wallace needs to apologize because of all of the solidarity against racism, I guess, that he so like lovingly and bravely cultivated in that space that is filled with racists, sadly. NASCAR makes the right move to ban the flag. Trump bitches about that. He's also saying that NASCAR's ratings have gone down because of the Confederate flag ban. So everything that he's saying, everything that he's saying is to uphold white supremacy again and and McEnany Kylie McEnany today couldn't say she wouldn't say like the the reporters were like why can't the White House definitively condemn the Confederate flag and she's like this was about Bubba Wallace and da 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 and like she just wouldn't touch it and and so they the White House is refusing to condemn the Confederate flag it's bananas Mm -hmm. that's fucking bananas it is it is and continuing with fucking going after sports which it seems trivial on one hand but on the other hand when you look at what makes up the culture of a country sports is a huge element of that regardless of you know what people's opinions may be on the legitimacy of that fact that just is how it is so trump going after these continued institutions that honestly profit off of black bodies and trying to uphold the white supremacy that exists within those organizations is again this concept of whistling he called out the washington redskins or i should say he called out the calls for washington redskins and cleveland indians to change their names today on twitter he said they name teams out of strength in all caps not weakness but now the washington redskins and cleveland indians two fabled sports franchises i feel like he just learned that word like he just like he just fabled. read it and looked at- yeah because <laughs> he keeps using it he's like I-, I got a new word i'm gonna use all the time like when i first learned plethora when i was 16 years old but anyways <laughs> Two fabled sports franchises look like they are going to be changing their names in order to be politically correct. Indians, like Elizabeth Warren, must be very angry right now. You can't fit more white supremacy into a message if you tried. It's dripping with it. Capitalizing the word strength, they name teams out of strength, not weakness. That is a whistle to say that settler colonialism and oppression and white supremacy equals strength Mm -hmm. that's what that is but trying to make it seem like he's saying native americans are strong yes exactly so that's what shit he was doing on twitter today wonderful what a guy yeah um yeah, that's that's absolutely disgusting. And to watch uh, Kylie McEnany try to dance around it is gross. It's just really gross. It is really gross. Um, but hopefully, hopefully this this will um, 
this will make you feel a little bit better, Jordan. I put put this in here for you. In a big victory, well, also because it's news, in a big victory in federal <laughs> district court today. Uh, a big victory for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and other Native American environmental groups. The Dakota Access Pipeline is dead. An oil route from North Dakota to Illinois that has inspired intense protests and legal battles must be shut down pending an environmental review and be emptied of oil by August 5th. Uh, as with all decisions, this is subject to appeal, but this is a significant defeat for President Trump, who has sought to keep the Dakota Access Pipeline alive. Mm-hmm. The ruling uh, by Judge James Bosberg of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia is the latest twist in a long-running legal battle. It essentially vacates a federal permit that had allowed the pipeline to operate while the United States Army Corps of Engineers, which had granted the permits for the pipeline, conducted an extensive environmental impact review. It's basically, you can keep the oil flowing while we do the environmental impact review. That was that makes sort of sense. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Energy Transfer, the Texas company that owns the pipeline, said in a statement Monday it will file a motion to stay the decision, and if it's failed, if that fails, it will appeal to a higher court. In his opinion, Judge Bosberg wrote that the court was quote mindful of the disruption of such a shutdown, but that it had to consider the quote potential harm each day the pipeline operates. Like, hey, jackass, you can't do an environmental impact study while you're impacting the environment. You got to, <laughs> you have to right. wait a second. You know, right? That's like. Yeah, exactly. It's like trying to study a moving target. I know. It's stupid. They're like, oh, let me let me study this guy's running form, except, oops, we forgot the treadmill. He's gone. It's like, it's like <laughs> he's, getting he's, an STD test with someone inside you. Like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. If, the, if the ruling stands and the oil flow is halted, the pipeline could still resume operations after the Army Corps of Engineers environmental review is completed, the Army Corps does not immediate, did not immediately respond to requests for comment today. Jan Hasselman, a lawyer with Earth Justice representing the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, said it took four long years, but today justice has been served at Standing Rock. And I'm getting choked up because I had a lot of friends that were in those camps. Hell yeah. This is a huge day of victory, one that, you know, people were calling for and have been begging for, like you said, for the last four years. And, and it's a huge huge thing to celebrate and that quote about i'm gonna fuck it up bending towards justice though this is a perfect example of that it's sustained action people not giving up on it indigenous people leading the effort consistently and with power and they won and yeah it's fucking rad it's uh the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice and it was added later it doesn't bend by itself we have to push it Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, Such good news. Mm -hmm. My story is, I guess, kind of neutral news. uh, But Guilen, I read it in a tweet by someone that used to answer phones at a place that she would call into, apparently. Apparently, her name is said Guilen. Okay. Jizzlane. Like, ghee, but like butter, kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Jizzlane. Or we could just say Jizzlane. That works for me, too. But she's transferred today uh to new york to be held and she's awaiting that trial so they asked the judge to schedule a friday court appearance in manhattan federal court and she is going she poses an extreme risk of flight they said that's a direct a direct quote she has three passports obviously incredibly wealthy and connected to disgustingly wealthy people and she has quote absolutely no reason to stay in the united states and face the possibility of a lengthy prison sentence end quote so Mm. 
she's getting transferred. She's uh, in Brooklyn. Well, I hope all the video cameras in her uh, cell block are working. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, right. I know. I saw a call that someone was like, get her on a live Twitch stream 24-7 right now. <laughs> exactly. Please. And I don't mean to laugh, but I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I um, mean, it was, it was a comic that wrote the tweet, so I think that's an appropriate reaction. Oh, well, see, I reacted appropriately <laughs> for once yes, in my did. life. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> we have to celebrate have, those moments as maladjusted I'm, people <laughs> now I, I need some champagne for that i think um <laughs> i think to so continue too. down along that path uh and finally today as we know a judge recently allowed mary trump's book to go forward after her father donald trump's brother robert tried to block it citing a non-disclosure agreement she signed like 20 years ago uh that the lawyer is trying to fight the book was slated to come out at the end of july but they pushed it up it's coming out Tuesday, July 14th. Order yours now. Damn. They're trying to get it out now because you can't, quote, put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't unring the bell, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so while she's, while they've lifted this injunction on her, uh, sh- they're pushing it. Simon & Schuster's pushing it to July 14th. So Mary Trump's book, something about how the, Trump is the worst man ever, comes out on Tuesday. All right. Are you getting it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pre-order that shit on my yeah. audio, my audio book, so I can listen to it while I mm-hmm. walk the pod dog. Ah, pesky books—they've always been an enemy to Trump, haven't they? Mm. Mm. In every way. Yep. Truly, truly, truly. Books. I saw him. Uh, he re- he Weeks. also had a tweet that was like, "School needs to come back in the fall or whatever." <laughs> and if I was if I was him, I would not be advocating for learning centers right now. It is entirely his enemy. <laughs> that <laughs> is not. that is opposite what they should be trying to do. That is the opposite reason he hired Betsy DeVos. I'm not sure, <laughs> right? What, exactly. What, <laughs> what the end goal is, um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I can't figure out if he's just trying to get people people back to work so that he can make the economy look good. I mean, the economy's really fucking bad right now, and the reason we don't know it is because the Mnuchin's been buying the fuck out of bonds and propping up the stock market falsely, right? Uh, to you know, make it look like oh, the stock market. That's why he's always like, look at the Dow, look at the Dow. It's because Mnuchin's in there printing money and fucking buying bonds and shit and making it, you know, just making it look good. Uh, there's a million other reasons too. I don't want economists to at me and be like, well, there's this and this and this. Yes, I know, uh, but that's helping. And you know, and the housing market started actually started to do a little badly in February before we hit. You know, we got the the first big giant. Uh, increase in coronavirus cases once foreclosures start going through because there's no national moratorium on those the housing market could go under uh we've got 40 million plus people out of work and he's sitting here like i got 4.8 million jobs yeah but you lost 50 million so fuck off um Mm -hmm. it's not it's not looking good every measure even the jobs reports were not reported the way they're normally reported forever because, you know, he's just trying to falsely bolster up, like just hold up this economy, like, oh, like just get me through to November. That's all he's doing with this, you know, you know, ignoring COVID. But or he's just trying to kill people like I can't figure it out because these are his supporters. I mean, yeah, I know when his supporters go to a rally, they leave the rally and go out into the world and can infect other people, mm-hmm. too. And the virus is not political. 
It doesn't, mm-hmm. sadly, it's not just spread by MAGA hat, you know? Right. So, so here we are. It does kill people, though, that typically are not white, rich, you know, in that demographic. So in that yeah, sense, it yeah, almost, that. it is political, socioeconomic. That, yeah. that yeah. and uh, I mean, you know, the other, another thing could be, hey, if people, if, if coronavirus gets out of control and people are fucking afraid of it and we, you know, put a kibosh on mail-in voting, people aren't going to turn up to vote. So, I mean, and that's why he's doing that as well. Uh, with the mail-in voting, I know that. Uh, you know, I don't. I I can't. I don't know what's in his head slash heart as far as this coronavirus, letting it just wash over the country and hoping for quote unquote herd immunity while saying at Mount Rushmore that ninety nine percent of the cases uh, are harmless, which is mm-hmm. a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not because the death rate is over one percent, which it probably is, but you know, but mainly because people are having so many additional oh, yeah. issues and then to right. be you know this could be considered having covid a pre-existing condition and if it washes over the country and they which they're arguing in court right now to do which is strip the pre-existing condition uh provision from the aca they're actually looking to gut the entire aca but they you know they have a problem with that now jordan because today in the supreme court they decided in the uh oh one of the decisions they were like um oh for the robocalls mm-hmm and so that sent, you know, sends a huge message that we're, we'll take out one provision of a law without gutting the entire law. Same with the Consumer Financial yeah. Protection Bureau thing that happened. Like you can't, we're not gutting the entire thing, but you know, we are saying that the president can fire the director. So they have shown now in two cases in the last two weeks, we're willing to strip out one or two provisions that you, that, you know, you might be finding unconstitutional or we find unconstitutional, but that doesn't mean we're going to gut the whole thing. But nevertheless, he's trying to do that. And if he's successful and people with pre-existing conditions can't get insurance, ta-da. So, mm-hmm. sorry mm-hmm. I went off on a rant. You get angry, AG, today. I apologize. No, that was great. I was just going to say that was great. <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, right after this quick break, you and I are going to go over the good news. And I have some amazing schadenfreude. And you are going to shit your pants, Jordan. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Ooh, I love shitting my pants. <laughs> Where's fart cops when you need them, right? <laughs> yes. Defund the fart cops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Daily Beans. Due to the global pandemic or the COVID-19 virus, the job market has been very uncertain for the past couple of months. Um, we don't really know what the future holds. Um, we're in uncharted waters. And as a small business ourselves, we understand what employees and employers are going through right now. Um, employees are worried about their job still being there or having to find a new one, while employers are concerned about their businesses surviving and hoping that both customers and employees return. In the effort to dissuade fears and provide some assistance and comfort in these times, we'd like to relay the following message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter says, right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, and to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work, and we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day, but today is different. We're partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we're finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we're- 
Jordan, I have so much good news. Well, I have one piece of good news for you. And then we have so much good listener news that has come in today. I'm really excited to read it. Um, first, though, I have a little bit of schadenfreude. Yes. Schadenfreude. All right. You ready for this, Jordan? You ready? Are you psyched? I am so ready. I'm on the toilet. Mm. Remember Beauty and the Beast? The Devil's Mermaid? Yes. Maria, yes. Maria, yes. Maria, oh, God. I have a... Yes. <laughs> Maria Butna and her boyfriend, Paul Erickson. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Beauty and the Beast, where we got to see the lovely rendition <laughs> of their duet. Uh-huh. He was sentenced today to seven years in prison. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. my God. Nobody saw it. Oh. I was going to put it in news under the radar, but I really felt yeah. it was like the ultimate schadenfreude today because, remember, he was indicted for defrauding investors by promising to build Christian nursing homes and then just stealing the money. Um, yep. A real Whitaker. <laughs> he fucking picked the toilet wine for reals. Right. And... And so he gets seven years. There was a lot of other fraud, defrauding investors, basically, in South Dakota. Seven years. He's going to prison for longer than Roger Stone is going to prison, than Rick Gates is going to prison, than Paul Manafort is going to prison. That blows my mind. But Paul Erickson's going up the river for seven fucking years today. God damn, dude. I That's crazy. I'm not seeing that anywhere on my feed. I'm following the wrong ass people right now. Well, actually... Okay, no, I guess if I scroll for a little bit, I can see it. But that's fucking great. That's amazing. That is, um, seven years, that's, I mean, that's, a that's lot. one of the longest sentences that's come out of all of this. I know. It's it's a yeah, long time. Wow. That was a lot of fraud. He was probably oh, up, he was God. probably up for like yes. 20, 25 years, something like that. And none of that, none of those seven years has anything to do with the fact that he helped Russia infiltrate the NRA. Sure. Of Those course. And that's the separate thing with cases. Yes. Yes, and that is the thing with all of these people. Especially it it pisses me off to no end when people want to nitpick the details of their involvement as it related to the Mueller investigation and the things that he was investigating. And so it's like, okay, you know what? Hey, how about for the sake of argument, let's just say he did nothing wrong in that case. I guarantee you there are a there's a litany of other things that he has done and these other people have done that is inherent to running in those circles of people. They're all fucking white-collar criminals, every single one of them. It is not possible to get there without being one. Mm-mm. You don't have to you're you can get all of these people on charges that this is a perfect example. Seven seven years. That's so much that's such a long time compared to someone like Stone, for example, right? Whose crimes directly related to what Mueller was investigating. So all these people, prosecute all of them, investigate all of them and prosecute all of them. White collar crime white collar criminals should make up a significant portion of the prison population, but they don't right now, and they need to. Mm-hmm. Yes, pants shat. <laughs> Chick pants shat. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Pants shat. Cool. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Coming again. Thank you so much for that. Pants, yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, no, that was all right. Great. That's Team America. That's yeah. Team America, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I was just imagining the barfing scene. Um, <laughs> I haven't thought about that in <laughs> a long time. Best scene in that whole thing. 
that's just excessive yeah. and awesome and puppet vomit is just weird yeah um <laughs> it's so weird i used to when when i did comedy when we would, would do weekly stuff at the blarney stone like me and dallas and everything I'd be up on stage and just inadvertently, you know how people normally like, like you, somebody's got a guitar, people shout Freebird. Well, mm-hmm. people would just shout Allison and then the whole crowd would go, fuck yeah. Like that happened at least 10 <laughs> times a night. And I, do, I don't know why, but I, it was like, I was like, I wish during my day job I would walk in and people would say that, but it, it, it only happened <laughs> yeah, at the Blarney see. Stone. And uh, yes, I can so say funny. my name yeah, now. Okay. Everyone knows it. So don't worry about it. Yes. Oh, yes. That's true. That is true. I can start calling you Allison. Mm-hmm. I, in, I still like AG. In public. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, be, I've become AG. The transformation is complete. Yeah, you go first with Anonymous. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, first up from Anonymous, pronoun she, her. She says, my parents live in the swing state of Wisconsin and in the district, Paul Ryan uh, came from no less. They have never been particularly interested in politics and have never voted before as they assumed their voices didn't mean much and most politicians wouldn't help people like them anyway. This week, they asked me to get them registered to vote and make sure they get mail-in ballots for the election in November. It took a terrible president like Trump to get them motivated to vote, and they plan to vote blue up and down the ballot, not only because they despise Trump, but also because they realize most Republicans are his enablers. Better late than never, I guess. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Yay! Victory! Down-ballot victory! Yes. Yes. And I and I hope I hope we learn for a long time. I hope we don't have to have another shitty president for people to like learn that lesson. Yeah, me too. You know? um, Good work. That's so great. Excellent job. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Next from Jonathan. Pronouns he him. Thank you uh, to Beans listener Betty for volunteering to help with people's taxes. One of the reasons tax filing is unnecessarily complicated is lobbying from tax preparation companies like Intuit. Um, which does, you know, uh, Intuit does QuickBooks, right? Everything. And TurboTax. Yeah. And, uh, and in the short term, active military and lower income people can visit Hassan Minaj's TurboTaxSucksAss.com for <laughs> actually free software. <laughs> in the long term, we need That's to lobby cool. for super... He, right? Okay, so I guess Hassan Minaj own, has, owns TurboTaxSucksAss.com and at that website, you can actually free actual free tax software. Uh, in the long term, we need to lobby for sim- simpler tax filing and to fund the IRS to catch rich tax cheats like Donnie. Yes, uh, I concur 100%. Um, the tax code is stupid. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I do have a lot of CPA friends that would be uh, jobless without it. But, uh, like, we have to figure mm-hmm. out how to retool that. But, yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Right. If you're if 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 an entire industry is built on the inaccessibility of something, that's not a good sign. We call it bureaucracy. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, next up from Kristen Pronoun, she her she says, I just listened to the good news on Mondays, we have a type episode. So I'd like to join this I swear I I swear this is good news party. Mm. I've been alone romantically for a long time. Not lonely, just alone. And yes, there is definitely a difference. I've been in some unhealthy and borderline emotionally abusive relationships over the years and have spent this quarantine doing a lot of work on myself and my boundaries while also reading books I would have scoffed at before. Highly recommend Attached for everyone to read regardless of relationship status. I'm literally reading that book right now. What? <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> what? Um. <laughs> anyway, 
Around the end of last year, I reconnected with an old acquaintance. I felt myself slipping into old patterns of practically begging for attention and choosing to overlook all of his red flags, and they paraded past me. (laughs) Well, this weekend was the breaking point. I reached out a couple times and got no response. Rather than continuing to do so, I have deleted his contact information and our text string, and should he grace me with a phone call anytime soon, we'll be firmly communicating why his behavior was unacceptable. We'd spent a lot of time discussing the importance of communication, so oh boy, is he in for a treat. (laughs) I'm very proud of myself for putting a stop to this behavior since I would have previously let this drag on and continue to allow myself to get hurt. But I know how awesome I am and that this is his loss, not mine. I know what I bring to the table and I'm not fucking afraid to eat alone. (laughs) Dude, Kristen, you and I should hang out. We should hang the fuck out. Yes. All of us. We're all setting boundaries. We're all loving ourselves and kicking shitty people out. Fuck. Uh Yes. Fuck. Uh Yes. I love I'm doing this. finger guns in the air right now. <laughs> <laughs> fist bumping. I'm fist pumping. 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 Yes. Fist bumping Hump, is different. Fist humping. <laughs> yes. Fist. I'm fisting. That's just fisting. <laughs> right now, do it. You don't have to add. I don't know if that sentence ever has ever been said. That's just fisting. You don't have to add the qualifier. That's just fisting. Sounds like a <laughs> jingle for something. <laughs> Uh, anyways yes i completely i feel that i vibe so hard with that shit Kristen. yes we're all doing it because we're all badass and any person would be lucky for us to be in their life and we should feel the same about them in ours so kick those fuckers to the side yeah i i got lucky enough to get so busy that I wasn't able to reach out to people. Like I didn't have the time, you know? And so it it Mm -hmm. sort of filtered out everyone and just those who kept reaching out to me that I would respond to. I was like, those are the people that I need in my life. The people who who care about me enough to check in. And so, and then of Mm -hmm. course, you know, I I would reciprocate checking back. As far as like Mm boning and stuff goes though, damn, I'm just, I'm quarantined. I know. Yeah. Yep, me too. Um, all right, next from anonymous, uh, she, her. Uh, this sounded that's, this, this got a little off the rails for a second. This was almost quarantine confessionsy uh, yes. language on my part. <laughs> my bad, but not really. I am who I am. I know. Yes, take you it are who you are. Uh, all right, uh, anonymous, she, her. Hi, ladies. I've been listening to your podcast since the Mueller days. Ooh, before you realized it was pronounced Mueller. Uh, and I have never missed an MSW or DB episode. Holy majoli, thank you. Uh, you are so smart and thoughtful. You make me laugh even though I'm feeling sad. My good news is that my beer league hockey returns in seven days. Uh, because <laughs> I realize this might sound like an irresponsible and potentially dangerous activity. Let me elaborate by saying that I live in Connecticut. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we have been so extremely diligent. Oh, okay. We've been diligent been diligent about staying home, wearing masks, social distancing for the last four straight months and are continuing to do so. I might proudly add saw tons of masks this weekend um, that our infection rate has been under 1% for over a week. We have also had continual decreases in hospitalizations and deaths and therefore currently one of the safest states in the entire country. I know things can change in a heartbeat, but nutmeggers still seem to be taking all the very serious all this very seriously despite our excellent covid containment so i'm cautiously optimistic and hopeful that it will stay that way nutmeggers i didn't know <laughs> it sounded dirty for a second i was like can i say i that know 
on my podcast. No, I know. I know. I know. I feel that it's the history of this last part of that word. But yes, I have. Yeah. Anyways. The, the, the rinks have all, uh, let's see, the rinks all have very strict rules for players. Oh, she's playing beer league hockey. Okay, so this is like what we do out here, Jordan. We, we call it kickball, walk a kickball. Oh. You know where we drink and play kickball, but they do it with hockey ah, in Connecticut. Slosh ball? Yeah. Yes. So they have very strict rules for players, both in the locker rooms and on the ice. They have promised to toss any idiots who can't follow directions. I plan to play as long as Connecticut infection rates stay low and will be back out immediately if they rise, even if the league itself doesn't shut down. I'm trying to approach this as safely as possible so I don't get sick. Holy fuck, guys, this is the first time I've been genuinely looking forward to something in four months, and I'm so excited, and I'll probably Aww. fucking cry when I pull into the rink next week. Uh, I am a 31-year-old female, have missed my teammates, who are all 50 to 60-year-old men, more than I ever <laughs> would have imagined. And I can't wait to have socially distanced beers in the parking lot with them after the game. Okay, so you drink Yay. after. Okay, because hockey seemed like a little dangerous to drink during, like not like kickball. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, there's sharp things and pucks and whatnot. Um, fingers yeah. crossed our return goes well and we all stay healthy. That's so great. Congratulations. Yeah. You have to send us photos. So, so good. Congratulations. Also, I'm trying to find a different word for jealous. I was going to say, though, I, I am jealous. I do not get the same sense of the people here in San Diego taking things seriously to a degree that allows us to safely reopen. So mm-hmm. I'm happy for you and I wish we were also there with you. Envy. Yes, yes, precisely. We have curve envy. Um, that sounds so fun. I've never played slosh ball actually. I need to try that. Mm. That sounds amazingly fun. Uh next up from Audrey. Audrey says here in Georgia, nutless boiled peanut shell <laughs> Brian <laughs> Kemp. That's that's a bit the descriptor for a human. <laughs> nutless boiled peanut shell Brian Kemp. Has been delaying the appointment of a DA in my circuit, a tactic that would have nullified an election for DA this November. If he got his way, Kemp's appointment would have remained DA until November of 2022, with the advantage of incumbent positioning. Thankfully, former Rep and General badass Deborah Gonzalez sued Kemp. Her hard work and that of many others who fought similar cases led to a mandatory election whether Kemp appoints a replacement or not. We are so happy that Deborah gets a fair fight for the DA seat. She is a true Wonder Woman and leader in every sense. Yes! Awesome. Shut that shit down. So cool. Dude, Stacey Abrams is doing such incredible work. Georgia, I don't... Mm-hmm. The the voter suppression there in 100 ways is just one of the worst I've ever seen and heard of. Um, so mm-hmm. that's awesome. I'm glad that uh, she sued his ass, his nutless boiled peanut shell ass. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see here next from Ashley pronoun she her uh, Ashley opens up with shit I fucking love you guys insert Jesus fingers but with awesome atheist flair okay uh, I apologize <laughs> what are Jesus fingers okay Jesus fingers I'm thinking of there's Jesus hands like the prayer thing but mm-hmm. Jesus fingers is that like a touched by his noodly appendage sort of thing like creation or no that's not Jesus that's God I'm Let's all see. fucked up. What are Jesus fingers? <laughs> are they nuggets made out of the body of Christ? Get it? Ha uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, healing fingers. Maybe it's the buddy <laughs> Christ from from Dogma, where he's like finger guns and a thumbs up. Yes, I'm gonna go with I'll that. I'll roll with it. <laughs> cool. 
I didn't know what Jesus fingers are. Um, but with an atheist flair. I apologize if this is long. I've been crafting this in my head for quite some time, and that's on high-functioning anxiety, ADHD, and procrastination. I first wanted to say thank you for being the mother, sisters, aunts, friends, whatever we all need in the world. You are a lighthouse in a shit fuck of a time, and I tip my imaginary hat to you all. Uh, Jordan, I love the butt talk. It's amazing. Please never stop. Also, <laughs> since, since your comment about sea turtles, uh, I can't stop picturing you as Kush from Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> crush, excuse me. It's crush, right? Righteous. Righteous. Is he that guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Mandy, I've always adored you, but when you told the story of taking in a pup without even blinking, you made a permanent place in my heart. Thanks for being a kind, beautiful human. More people should be like that. That is so real. Mandy is just one of the kindest mm -hmm. fucking, her and her wife, Joel, just the kindest people. It would help you in a heartbeat. Uh, Joel, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I've uh, ever heard you on the pod, but you're such an important part. I wanted to say thanks for everything you do as well. And A.G., damn dude, Aww. no words. Oh, you're amazing and just thank you. Um, okay, yeah. cool. No specific good things about A.G. All right. Taking notes. Just um, all of it. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, my good news is that I'm finally seeking therapy. I've decided it's time to seek therapy to deal with the seething anger plus anxiety and eating disorder, but anger first, that I have for my Trumpian family and their glib excuses and bullshit ideals. I have to figure out a way to handle speaking to them in a healthy way or cut off contact for my own sanity. I love you guys. You're amazing. Thanks for always being a light uh, with fun swear words, showing mental health is important and that we still need to get out of bed in the morning. Cheers. Oh, and enjoy this picture of my pod baby, Gronk. Oh. oh Gronk. As in Gronkowski? I wonder. It's a, it's a husky. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Gronk husky. Maybe oh, that's Gronk husky instead of Gronkowski. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I see. We're expecting a little <laughs> sports reference on the old girl pod today, were ya? <laughs> Gronk Husky. Take that, Take motherfuckers. that shit, huh? <laughs> we know balls. <laughs> we know balls better than most. <laughs> that is a beautiful husky. Look at those eyes. They're ice blue. What a gorge. Yeah, truly Aww. beautiful. And look at how youthful and adorable. My God. Gronk Husky. I love it. Ugh. So cute. That brings us to the end of our good news stories. Yay. Therapy for the win. <sighs> Those were fun. That was fun. Went a little off the rails. That was fun. <laughs> yes, we did. But that, that was really fun. Went a little quarantine confessions with it. So we have this other show. We used to do quarantine confessions after the good news. It, we got so many responses. We're so overwhelmed with responses. We did a spinoff show called Quarantine Confessions. It comes out on Saturday. It's its own podcast. So you have to search for Quarantine Confessions. Rate it. Like it. Subscribe. Do all that. Please. I love you. Uh, but that, we kind of, we get like pretty dirty and and like back to my old yeah, comedian no self you know yeah no holds barred <laughs> yes. on the quarantine confessions and so um that today mm, y'all got a little taste of uh mm -hmm. of what it's like when i uh when you know when it's monday and mm -hmm. no shits are given yep <sighs> love it except <sighs> for the the pants shat for the schadenfreude <laughs> right that was the best way to kick that off too Oh, yeah. oh god <laughs> love it alright well uh, any any final final thoughts from you I do not not today alright All right. well everybody we'll see you tomorrow until then uh, please take care of yourselves take care of each other 
take care of the planet and uh, Ashley, thanks for taking care of your mental health. Everyone else do the same. I've been AG. I'm Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.